blessing to see uh, these guys learning instruments, playing instruments. We, we need to just put all of the instruments together. And uh, Brother Ho, get your family, the crochet family, and uh, anybody else. If anybody plays spoons or anything, you can, you can join in, and uh, we'll just have a, have a good old time here together. And uh, so that, that's a lot of fun. I, you know, one of my prayers is that God will raise up uh, an army for Christ, that God will raise up a young people that will be the next generation that want to serve the Lord with all of their heart. And uh, our churches today... Uh, need young people that uh, uh, will graduate from high school and then uh, remain faithful to God and faithful in church and be in church every time the doors are open and be servants within their churches and uh, just be a great honor and blessing. And, and our churches need that. We need that life. We need the life of, of the uh, young people. And, and it's really uh, kind of sad that uh, churches across America uh, are dying. And a lot of it is they're dying because young people are not uh, there filling in the gaps. And so I'm blessed here at uh, Valley Bible Baptist just to see young people uh, growing up. That's uh, We go to camps. We uh, we do all kinds of things. I told my neighbor today that we, we try to keep the young people busy in the summertime just to keep them active uh, for the Lord. Uh, we're in Philippians chapter 1. You find your place. If you would uh, stand with me as we read a portion of God's Word. Um, any of you struggle with worry? Any worry warts in here? Philippians will help you, okay? Philippians is, uh, is a great encouragement, a great blessing. Uh, deals with uh, those things in our life that still peace. And uh, chapter 1, circumstances. Uh, as we move on, we find people, relationships. Uh, we move on, we find that sometimes finances. And then we get to the last chapter and worry. And the Bible says, be careful or be anxious about nothing. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. And, and those are very important principles. So I want to pick up uh, the book of Philippians and tonight just kind of introducing uh, some thoughts here out of, uh, out of the book of Philippians. And, and I want you, let's read verses 1 through 6 here in this chapter. And uh, we'll make a few comments from this chapter. Then we're going to go to Acts chapter number 16. Uh, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the, very, or from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I want you to, to notice just the statement here in verse 3, where Paul says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Verse 4, always in every prayer of mine for you, making request with joy. And in verse 5, he makes the statement for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And uh, this, as, as I studied the Bible, I think this was the most special church to Paul in his relationship. Many churches had been planted, but this church uh, was, was kind of one that was dearest to the heart of Paul the Apostle. 
And we'll give you some thoughts about that here tonight and uh, the blessing of that. If you'll join me, let's go to the Lord in, in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for tonight. Thank you already that uh, you have met with us. Just been good here tonight. Even the songs we've been challenged about uh, not, not worrying, about trusting, about uh, uh, giving our all to you. And Lord, how, how important that is. I, I pray here tonight uh, as we open your word that you would be our teacher. We, we need to hear from heaven tonight. And Lord, somebody here tonight needs a bit of encouragement, maybe somebody going through some difficult circumstances, and I pray through the testimony and the life of Paul the Apostle, they can be challenged and help us tonight. Lord, we look to you, bless those at camp tonight, and Lord, we pray also for this pastor and his son uh, that are in really difficult circumstances right now. Uh, Be with them, give wisdom to doctors, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated here this evening. I want to just kind of by way of introduction um, give you a few thoughts here as we lay the foundation. I want you to notice here in in verse number one, this letter is addressed to the saints at Philippi, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ. He says, to all the saints, and often through this book he he mentions you all. Uh, He was a southerner, I think, and so he mentions you all. And uh, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Now, the bishops are the elders, the pastors. Uh, it be interchangeable terms, bishops, elders, pastors. And I think Epaphroditus very likely was the senior pastor who uh, delivered an offering from the church at Philippi to Paul the Apostle in the prison in Rome and then became very sick as he did so. And that's uh, discussed for us in, in chapter number two and some of the details there. Uh, he mentions also the deacons. These were the servant leaders of the this church at Philippi. So we've got an organized church uh, that Paul is writing to, and he says uh, to the saints, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. And somebody said, either you're a saint or you ain't. And uh, there's no in-between to it. And he's writing to those that have been saved. And the, another term for saint is just a saved person. And so if you're saved tonight, you're a saint. And uh, that's the teaching or the, the, the word or the meaning of that word in the Bible. Now, Paul is writing to this local church, to the saints, to the bishops, to the deacons there in this church at Philippi. And seems to be, as we mentioned, one of his favorite churches, a very close relationship. And so he says in verse number three, as he's writing this letter, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And I would just ask you tonight, are are there people in your life that you think about them that it just brings joy to your life? Uh, Maybe people that have blessed you in the Lord or been close to you in the Lord. And that's just something about that Lord uh, relationship with other Christians that we have. Now, we call this letter one of the prison epistles of Paul. And he wrote this letter from prison in Rome. And when he wrote this letter, he's uncertain of his future. The circumstances are not good. He did not know whether he would be martyred or whether he would be freed. Uh, He could have filled his life with worry. Uh, But you'll see this is one of the most joyful books in all of the Bible. Uh, Here's Paul from prison filled with joy. They could take his freedom, but they could not take his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Last night up in Truchas, I preached about uh, King David during the time when Absalom, his own son, uh, tried to overthrow the kingdom, and David fled for his life. And uh, then his own counselor, Ahithophel, turned against David. 
And then we read that uh, thousands of people joined in the conspiracy and things did not look good for David. And yet David said, I will both lay me down and sleep. And David expressed that the joy of the Lord, the Lord had blessed him with gladness. And so in the difficult circumstances, here's David fleeing for his life, yet his heart is still filled with joy. I don't understand that. And it's only God, a miracle that could work that. And here is, is Paul in prison, filled with joy. And this letter you will see over and over 19 times, at least in this letter, uh, he uses the word joy or rejoicing or gladness. And so this letter is filled with the joy of the Lord. Uh, difficult circumstances, uncertain future, yet joy uh, permeated in the heart and life of Paul. Now, in, in this letter, uh, Paul's not going to allow circumstances or people or financial situations or worry to steal the joy of his life. Now, while Paul is in prison, and this becomes the heart of this letter, and this is kind of where I would like to focus tonight. While Paul's in prison, I probably would have been feeling sorry for myself. Woe is me. But here's Paul, not thinking of himself, but thinking of others. So from prison, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And so his heart is not focused upon himself, but it's focused upon the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's Philippians 4, verse number 4. And here his heart, his mind is focused upon those that have been a blessing. And, and I want to look at this thought tonight. In verse 3, he says, I'm thinking about you. In verse number 4, he says, I'm praying for you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. And then he's stating in verse number 5, I, I cherish you. Uh, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And you think about this from the first day until now. Paul had fond memories of the people of this church. And this church uh, had a special place in the heart of Paul. Now we know in this letter that this church sent to the needs of Paul. And a prison in those days was not like it is now. I've been visiting prisons and I find that they eat pretty good sometimes in the prison house. But in Paul's day, uh, many times a prisoner would be dependent upon the needs of uh, being met by others. And so here's Paul in prison. His needs are being met uh, by, by this church, and he had a love for this church. Now, I, I just want to point out, as, as I look at this, there's really a testimony. This ought to be the, the relationship between a pastor and the people of the church. And uh, there ought to be a mutual love. And I thank the Lord for Valley Bible Baptist Church and some of my dearest friends right here in this church and have been so blessed. And I, I can remember uh, almost always with most of you uh, the very first time that I met you. And I can remember just uh, some of you having the privilege of, of hearing you call upon the name of Jesus and, and getting saved. I can remember for some of you the very first time that you, you visited this church. And uh, those are fond memories. I think that's what Paul is recall, uh, recalling of this church. They had sweet fellowship. They'd known that fellowship together. Uh, there were fond memories that they had known together. So what I, I'd like to do tonight is I want to look to the foundation. If we're going to go through the book of Philippians, I want us to go back to the book of Acts chapter 16. And I want to go to this passage of Scripture where it all started. 
And I want to show you through this chapter of Acts 16, uh, one reason I think this church became so special to Paul. This church was established during Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, Paul and Silas. Now, the first missionary was Paul, uh, journey was Paul and Barnabas. And uh, there was the division because of John Mark. And Silas now is joined in with uh, Paul. And they're sent from this church at Antioch. They're sending church on this journey. And they first visited the churches that were established during the first missionary journey. And then as Paul was considering, after visiting those churches, where to proceed, where to go next, uh, he had no peace. And the Bible teaches, let the peace of God rule in your heart. He had no peace as to where he was to be. And in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 6, we read, And when they had gone throughout Phrygia, the region of Galatia, they're visiting churches that had been previously established, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. It was not yet time for Asia. Later that would come, Acts chapter 19, Ephesus. And then we would read of other churches established in Asia, but the time is not yet. And in verse number 7, after they come to Mysia, uh, they essayed to go to Bithynia, uh, but the Spirit suffered them not. Now, Bithynia would be north. This would be in the direction of Turkey. And yet there was no peace. And so Paul continues to press westward. In verse number 9, And a vision appeared to Saul, or to Paul, in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And so in verse number 8, they passed westward toward Troas. And now, uh, here God in this place, uh, gives a very clear direction, the Macedonian vision. And this would be toward Greece, toward Europe. This would be westward. And I'm so thankful for this because uh, my heritage comes from the west. It comes out of Europe. And uh, because of that heritage, because the gospel went forth, uh, just to know the background, and uh, I come from a, uh, a wicked uh, background, and yet the Lord uh, gets a hold, and all of us have come from sinful backgrounds, and only the gospel can change those things. And as the gospel pressed westward toward Europe, it, it comes to uh, probably ancestors for many of us as the gospel uh, comes into that region. And this is the direction, this is the timing of God in the life of Paul. Paul is obedient to that vision. Now in verse number 10, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored. That's an interesting statement. Uh, in verse number 8, you'll notice, and they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. But now the reference, and we. And so we know from this point and from that statement, uh, Luke joins the party. And so we have four missionaries. We have uh, Paul and Silas, and they picked up earlier in the chapter Timotheus or Timothy. And so now we have four missionaries, and they are pressing on the direction of God. And God led them, if you go to verse number 12, to the city of Philippi. And it reads, from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. So now God has directed them west to Greece, to Macedonia, uh, to Philippi, the chief city of that region. And there are three prominent conversions that are mentioned for us 
in this statement or in this chapter in Acts chapter 16. And I want to look at these three conversions tonight because these three conversions become the basis for this church in Philippi that Paul is able to say, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Here in Acts chapter 16, he's recalling that time, those divine appointments where God led him and this party to that city uh, for these specific people that they would be saved and they would become a part of that church in Philippi. Let me just state tonight, if you're saved, God put together all the details. He put it together in a miraculous way. He brought people to your life. He put you in situations. He put circumstances together to draw you to a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing what God does. So let's start with the conversion here of a wealthy woman, Lydia. In verse number 14, and a certain woman named Lydia. Here the Bible tells us she's a seller of purple. Now, uh, Thyatira, she's from the city of Thyatira originally. Thyatira was known for its purple dye. And so she's a seller of purple. This would have put her in a, in a very wealthy uh, uh, le- uh, place in life. And uh, this woman, probably uh, a Gentile, but she's a God-fearer. And as we read on, she worshiped God. Uh, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. And so a God-fearer, she's one that worshipped God. Uh, She's like Cornelius, and it seems evident Paul normally would go to the synagogue in the city whenever he would arrive there, but evidently there was not a a synagogue in the city of Philippi, but there was a group of people that would go down by the river on the Sabbath day, and they would meet together, and they would meet there for prayer. And it's there where Paul confronts or comes into contact with Lydia. The Bible says there in verse 14 that God opened her heart to the gospel. Now this was a divine appointment. Okay, Lydia had been seeking God. And God knew the heart of Lydia. And God gives the vision to Paul. Uh, come on into Macedonia and help us. And so this would be the very first opportunity here uh, to help one that needed the Lord Jesus and God knew the heart and God brought the two together. It was a divine appointment and that day Lydia heard the gospel. That day she's converted to the Lord Jesus Christ as many others in her household and perhaps servants and workers, maybe even children, uh, that that day hearing the gospel there by the riverside as they're worshiping the Lord as they're praying, she comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Let me just state that there are many religious people, there are many people that believe in God, many people that have a fear of God, but they're not converted. They don't know Jesus Christ. The Bible said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. See, it's not enough just to know about Jesus Christ, but you must know Jesus personally. It's not enough just to pray to God or to worship God. You must know the Lord in a personal way. And that's the work that God did in the heart of Lydia that day. We read in verse number 15, and when she was baptized. And so this would be in, in, in testimony of her saving faith. It would picture that she has died to her old life. And that she's been buried with Christ and now she's raised to walk in a new life. And the Bible said when she was baptized in her household, she besought us saying, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And she gave testimony of this conversion uh, through baptism. What a powerful testimony. You get the picture. Here Paul is preached there by that riverside. 
Here's Lydia and her household. They've called upon the name of Jesus Christ. And now uh, Paul takes them out into the middle of the river, or maybe it was one of the other missionaries. The Bible doesn't tell us who it was that did the baptizing, but uh, it was one that had been given the authority by the church, and now they are baptizing, and this uh, becomes the first part, the foundation of this church that would be planted in, in Philippi. Now when Paul said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, he would be thinking of Lydia. And he would be thinking of her household. And he would be thinking of that divine appointment and how God put together all of those details on that day. And only God could do that. Only God could give the vision. And only God could know the heart of this woman. And only God could put together those details that Lydia would be converted, become a part of this church, the foundation of this church that would be established in Philippi. And as we remember Lydia and her household, her hospitality, Paul would remember uh, that she opened her home to that missionary crew and uh, she had great hospitality, took care of their needs. What a fond memory that would be. I thank God upon every remembrance of you. I was just thinking this afternoon with uh, Brother Abel, had some communication with Brother Abel and Brother Floyd. I remember you got saved and came to a meeting. I still remember that, night, that day, Sunday morning, that you called upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was not long after Brother Floyd got saved, uh, they asked me to go visit Brother Abel. And he was sick at that time with cancer. And I still remember going to the home and knocking upon the door, and he invited me into that home. We shared the gospel. And uh, their Brother Abel, by that couch, called upon the name of Jesus Christ. And uh, he told me the story, and he wouldn't mind me telling this at all. Uh, I didn't even know this, but uh, after he got saved that day, went to his refrigerator, took out the alcohol, and poured it down the drain. And God began to do a work. And all oh, those are fond memories. And I could go through many, many of you and your lives. And I thought about that today, just talking or having communication uh, by, by text here with Brother Abel today. Uh, that's the memory of this woman in Philippi. Uh, let's go on. There's another conversion that becomes very prominent. It's the conversion of a poor slave girl. Now, remember... A wealthy woman, uh, a businesswoman, uh, a very prominent woman, a uh, seller of purple. But now we've got a slave girl, verse 16. And it came to pass as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. So here is a, a woman that is the possession of her masters. She's making them money through divination. Uh, would be things like tarot cards and crystal balls and palm reading, and uh, she's making money for them, but it's very clear she is possessed by a demon. And this was the source of her ability. Now, can I just state that there are demonic spirits that give these abilities, and I'm just sharing my conviction here. I believe a Christian ought to have nothing to do with the occult. I believe we ought to stay away from the horoscopes. I believe the tarot cards, the palm readers, the crystal balls, and all of these things. Uh, these things can be very uh, damaging. They can be very real. I, I knew a family that was basically destroyed because of astrology and astrologers and uh, just those things that can take place. And uh, we need to be cautious of this. Here's a woman uh, that is possessed of a demon and has the ability to uh, read into things and used of Satan to lead people then into bondage. But she's making money for her owners. In verse number 17, the same followed Paul 
and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. This girl recognized that Paul and his crew were of the living God. They had a message that was real. Now, much as in the days of Jesus, you remember often in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that those possessed with demons would often make their way to the Lord Jesus. Remember when Jesus went to Gadara, uh, there was the the legion, the man uh, possessed that came uh, to meet Jesus, and he bowed before Jesus. And uh, these demons recognized, this evil spirit and this girl recognized uh, Paul and uh, his servants, that they were of the living God. And uh, may I just state here that the demons are made by God. And though they rebelled against God, they're still accountable to God. They know who he is. They know who Jesus is. And they have to still bow the knee uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse number 18, and this did she many days. And Paul's been very patient now. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. He grieved Paul as this girl followed them many days. And then finally Paul commands that Spirit in the name of Jesus to leave the girl. And the Bible says he came out the same hour. Now I want you to get the picture. Here's a girl that has been under bondage. Here's a girl that is possessed. We don't know when that took place or how that took place, but here is a girl under the bonds of Satan. And uh, now she's set free. And now set free. And as Paul would write back to that church, she would remember, or he would remember and recount how this girl went from bondage to freedom, how this girl had her whole life uh, wrecked by a demonic spirit. And now she's a part of a good church serving the Lord Jesus Christ. What a fond memory! That would be to see the change and the transformation in a life through the power of Jesus Christ, a fond memory. I thank God upon every remembrance of you, Paul would say. I'm not going to tell the story of what I've seen some of you come out of, but God's good. If you knew what I came out of, you would say the same. The Lord's good. The Lord is gracious unto us. How good he is to save and to set the captive free. Then we, we come and uh, look in verse number, number 18 uh, here in, in Acts, uh, Acts uh, uh, 16. This you did many days, but uh, here the Lord sets her free. He came out the same hour. But it moves us now to the third conversion. And this third conversion is the jailer, a middle-class individual. We've got a wealthy woman. We've got a poor slave girl. And now we have a, a middle-class jailer that is converted to Jesus Christ. And what a change God worked in this family. Let's pick this up in verse number 19. And when our masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers. And uh, just state that when you deal with the financial gain of another through illegitimate means, you, you pick a battle. And uh, when others are gaining illegitimately and, and you, you confront that, you deal with that. Uh, you know, there are those that are willing to make money by taking advantage of others. And so the owners of this girl are making money by taking advantage of this girl. Uh, you can consider uh, today the, the drug lord. Uh, his dealer, his user gets saved. Uh, boy, you've got a fight, you've got a battle on the hands. Uh, the prostitution pimp, his young lady 
comes to know Christ or maybe a ministry reaches out and she's delivered out of that. And uh, thank the Lord that's happening across America and, and uh, the, the sex trade across this nation is horrible. The sex trade across the world, horrible. But I'm thankful that multitudes are being delivered and God is able to do that. And yet there's a battle on the hand when that happens. The liquor industry uh, destroying lives and wrecking homes and yet those that would preach and stand against it labeled fanatics but it's destroying multitudes of lives. And uh, the pharmaceutical industry, we, we in America, we, we become so dependent upon drugs. And it's a multi-billion dollar industry and, and multitudes more concerned for the almighty dollar than for the actual health of Americans anymore because you see it's a bondage and, and it holds. And uh, when this case, when these slave owners lost their financial source, they were angry at Paul and Silas. So what did they do? Verse 20. And they brought them to the magistrates saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. And uh, now they, they show this anti-Semitism and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. Okay, So they're distinguishing these Jews. They've come and uh, here we being Romans, they've uh, taken away, they teach customs. It's not lawful uh, to teach, to receive. Uh, verse number 22, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them to the inner prison, made their feet fast in the stocks. Now get the picture here, Paul. I, again, I, what, what have you done? Uh, here, he's preached the gospel. He's obedient to the Lord. And now he's accused falsely. He's beaten uh, his back would have been bloodied and bruised and cuts and all sorts of things, sore. And now he's taken to the inner prison. He's put into stocks. He's given into the hand of this jailer. And, and uh, the jailer is given the orders. You take good care. You watch over this and uh, cast them in prison, keep them safely. And so he cast them into the inner prison, beaten, imprisoned, placed in stocks. And that would have been a miserable, miserable, miserable night, hurting painful, in stocks, freedom taken away just for doing what you're supposed to be doing. That brings us to the conversion here of the jailer. We read that he's responsible for these prisoners, but he had never dealt with such prisoners before. Not quite like these prisoners. So what would they do? Verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. The prisoners heard them. Now their bodies aching, freedom has been taken, but the joy of the Lord is still in their hearts. Now, you remember Paul wrote the book of Philippians, the most joyful book of the Bible, but he has practiced that before them. And he's been a testimony of joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. The joy could not be taken from them. In verse number 26, and suddenly God works a miracle a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken. You're going to find often when you praise God in difficult circumstances, God works a miracle. And here they're praising the Lord. As they praise the Lord, an earthquake comes and delivers them from the stocks. And by the way, I believe the Bible. I believe God, the God that spoke the world into being, an earthquake is nothing for him. To deliver these prisoners is nothing. Immediately all the doors were opened. Everyone's bands were loosed. Just as God delivered the slave girl from the bondage of Satan, God now delivers these prisoners from the bondage of the prison house. 
Now for this jailer, it's a death sentence. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors opened, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. And in those days, if a jailer, one that keeps the prisoners, uh, lost those prisoners, it would be life for life. And so here's the jailer, knowing that, is going to take his own life. And then we come to that uh, miracle that God works. Paul cried with a loud voice. Think about this. Uh, a miracle. You've got beaten prisoners. They're singing praises. And now the prisoners of the entire prison are delivered. And now Paul, notice verse 28, Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we all hear. What would happen if you opened the doors of the average prison in America today, I guarantee you the prisoner is going to flee as soon as that happens. But that didn't happen. It's another miracle. And why? I think because Paul and Silas now are having an opportunity perhaps to preach to all of these prisoners. And the door's been opened. They've seen uh, something different. They've heard these prisoners singing. and They've known there's something different about their lives, something I need. They remained. They didn't leave. They didn't flee. A miracle that God is working. And so Paul says, do yourself no harm. We're all here. I want you to look at life's most important question. Verse 29, then he called for a light, sprang in, came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's the most important question in all of life. What must I do to be saved? First of all, let me say there's nothing you can do. It's already been done. He paid it all. Uh, he finished the work on Calvary. He paid the debt that we owe. There's nothing that you can do. And so Paul answers and he gives the response to this in verse 31. They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And uh, so we have here this message of salvation, this simple answer a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we understand that faith and repentance work hand in hand. They go together, faith and repentance. And God worked this miracle in their life. And what a blessing. In verse number 32, I want you to see uh, the power of God. You know, the Lord sets the captive free. He set the slave girl free. He sets Paul and Silas free. And in verse number 32, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. Now here's this jailer, he's been changed. And so now he ministers to Paul and to Silas in the middle of the night. And what a blessing just to see as God is changing the life of this man. And God's word changes a life. And then he was baptized, he and all of his, straightway. Now, there was a preacher years ago that said that's proof of infant baptism. Uh, and he said, see, the whole house. Got, got saved, they got baptized, there were babies baptized. And, and uh, another preacher said, well, uh, did you realize that they're all 18 years and above? And, uh, and the other preacher says, well, where did you get that from? Uh, the same place that you got that they were infants? And he said, in fact, I can point out to you that I'm probably closer to right than you are because notice this. In verse 34, and when he brought them into his house, he said, meet before them, rejoicing, notice this, believing in God with all of his house. And an infant can't believe, he can't be converted. And so he's given the testimony here of this household, having come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Now let's go back to Philippians. 
chapter number 1. Isn't this precious? We've got a wealthy businesswoman, Lydia, and her household saved and baptized. We've got a slave girl set free, poor girl. We've got a jailer and his household now coming to know Jesus Christ. No telling how many other prisoners in that prison were converted that day. So let's go back to Philippians chapter number 1. And with this background, uh, thinking about what Paul states here. As he's looking back, he's in prison. And while he's in prison now in Rome for having preached the gospel, he's thinking of this church back in Philippi. And he's thinking of this church with such fond memories. And what a blessing they were. And let me just tell you, when you're facing difficult circumstances, find somebody that you can be grateful for. Get your eyes off of yourself and onto Jesus and onto others. And do what Paul did and begin to pray for them. So here we have in verse number 3, what Paul states in Philippians 1 is he writes back to this church, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Every time I thank of you, I thank the Lord for you. I thank the Lord for the divine appointment that put me there at that river and that Macedonian vision that Lydia and her household would be saved. I thank the Lord for that slave girl that continued to follow us and, and then she was set free. And I thank the Lord for putting me in that prison house and giving me the opportunity to witness to that jailer and to his family. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. But not only that, this church had become so special to Paul through the years. They ministered to Paul on numerous occasions. It's evident that many of those converts had continued on and the foundation of this church. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He says in verse 4, always, constantly praying for you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. See, all of these in the church at Philippi, and the Lord breaks down, you think about this, the, the, the rich woman, uh, the poor girl, and the middle class man, and they're all together in one body in Christ. And that's what God does. He tears down the middle walls, a partition, he puts together in the local church uh, all different kinds of people, all different kinds of backgrounds from every different walk of life, different economic backgrounds, different personalities, different races, different educational levels. He puts them all together in one body, breaks down that middle wall of partition, and gives them the bond of love in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what God has done at Valley Bible Baptist? Isn't he good? To give us friends, this body, this local church, brought such fond memories to Paul. And that's what it ought to do, Valley Bible Baptist, for each and every one of us as we see what God does and has done. Let's go to the Lord tonight.